Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Hey, if you got your Bibles with you, let's look at Proverbs 13, 22. We're going to continue talking about leaving a legacy. And last week, if you were here, we talked about leaving a legacy for the generations. And uh, that's so important. But today we're going to continue talking about legacy before we get into this whole month of Christmas festivities. So we're going to start here. This is a theme verse for this series, Proverbs 13, 22. It says, a good man or woman leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Notice a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. If you're taking notes, the title of my message today is A Generous Legacy. A generous legacy. And today, specifically, I want to talk about money. Talk about the resources, the wealth, uh, the money that God has given us and what we should do with it because that is our legacy on how we use our money, how we spend our money, how we give our money. And it's so important. So today we're going to talk about a generous legacy. Now, Just a quick recap from what we talked about last week. We talked about leaving a legacy. Now, what is a legacy? A legacy is what you pass on to the generations coming after you. It's what some people say you hand down to future generations. It is the things that you will be remembered for when you've gone on to be with the Lord. That will be your legacy. And we need to understand that What we pass on and hand down to future generations, not just to our kids or our grandkids, but to all the people that are connected to our life, it matters. But how many of you know if you don't start thinking about your legacy today, it won't be good at the end of your life? You have to live with the end in mind. No matter if you're 25 or 95, you have to live every day like this if you're going to leave a legacy worth receiving. Because we're all passing on something to future generations. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Sometimes that's a blessing. Sometimes that's a curse. But either way, we're passing something on to future generations. We're handing something down. And we're all playing our part in this race we run. Now, we used this example last week. But, you know, our life on the earth as believers is like a relay race. You realize that we're not the last generation that's going to be here. And there's been thousands and thousands of generations before us. And guess what happens? Every generation has to run their race. And then they pass it off to the next generation. And they run their race. And so every generation passes things on, hands things down. And they do their part. And their part is important. But we play a part of the bigger story of what God is doing on the earth. We're only one part. And we're going to have to come to a time in our life where we hand the baton off to the next generation. The reason I'm saying that is this. We need to run in a way that we have the generation that's ahead of us ending up in a better place than we are. That that we hand off what we have to the next generation and they're way in front of where we, we were when we got it. That they're so much further ahead that they don't have to make up the ground that we lost. 
that, that we can hand it off to them and they're in a good place, a healthy place, and even a financially good place so they don't have to deal with the debt of the past generations. They don't have to deal with the, the issues that the past generations had because we took care of it and we didn't pass that on to them. We only passed down generational blessing and generational wealth to future generations. That's God's heart. It should be your heart as well. That when we hand this off to next, the next generation, that when we do, it's in a better place than when we received it. That's the heart of God. Now, the, the issue is, a lot of times, it goes back and forth between generation and generation. Like, one generation loses a lot of ground, then the next generation makes it up. Then the one generation loses ground. And, it's, and that's not God's will and not God's best, but that's what's happened. A lot of times in the church world and in the body of Christ, because the generation doesn't think with legacy in mind and think, I'm going to put my children, my grandchildren, and all the people connected to my life, the generations ahead in a better place than when I received my part of the race. So we want to put them in a better place. But if we don't start preparing now, we won't end up there. We need to live with the end in mind. We need to invest in things, hear me, that will outlive us and outlast us. Things of eternal significance. And are you investing your life, your time, your money, your energy in things that will outlive you and outlast you and have eternal significance? We need to ask ourselves that question every day. Now, I listen to a lot of leadership people, and I know a lot of well-known leadership people that they have actually written their obituary and they read it every day because they're living with the end in mind. They're writing what they want people to write about them when they're gone. And they read it every day thinking about it because they realize I have to live this way if I want them to write this about me when I'm gone. Now, I'm not saying you got to write your obituary, but I'm saying we do have to have a vision or it won't happen. We do have to, to have a picture of what our legacy was going to look like, or it just won't, won't happen by accident. We have to think in terms like that of what do I want people to say when I'm gone? What do I want the generations after me to receive the legacy? Because it's not just going to happen. I have to live every day like this for at the end of my life and my turn on the earth to end up that way. Are you with me? But last week, we talked about some things that you need to hand down to future generations. And these are things that weren't financial things or dealing with money. And they're the most important things. Now, last week, we talked about you need to hand down a genuine faith to your family, to your children, to your children's children, to the generations ahead. A real genuine faith. You need to hand them a good name. That should be your legacy. You need to hand them generational blessings, not generational curses as your legacy. But just because those are the most important things doesn't mean money's not important. Money's very important. And actually, the more money you have, if you're thinking right and you're thinking godly about it, the more you can give. 
That's what I don't understand. People that fight the prosperity message or or the God wanting you to be prosperous message, they don't realize the more money, if your heart is in line with God's heart, the more money you have, the more generous you can be, the more the church can do, the more the body of Christ can move forward, the more the kingdom of God can be advanced has nothing to do with selfish reasons if you're thinking about it in a godly, righteous way, which the Bible talks about. So money is not the most important thing you can give your kids. It's not. But it is important. And not just your biological children, but your spiritual children and the generations to come. What we do with our money matters. Now, We're talking today about a generous legacy because that's my heart for myself, but that's my heart for this church, that we would be known for generosity, that generosity would be our privilege and not little generosity, but large, abundant generosity. And we have a generous church, but we're going to be more generous as a church. Now, what we do with our money matters to God. God talks about it all the time. There's thousands and thousands of verses in your Bible about money. So what we do with our money is important. Don't say, well, it's not important. God didn't talk about it. Actually, he talked about it way more than most subjects. So what we do with our money matters, and that's our legacy. And the more we have, the more we can give, the more we can be generous. Now, once again, to just clarify the definition, because I'm going to say some words that, uh, that some people have a problem with. I don't know why they would have a problem with it, but... Uh, I did get a bad review before on Google that said, this church is a prosperity church. So, um, you know, I was thinking, would, were you wanting a five-star review for it to be a poverty church? Would that make you feel better? Um, I, I don't know what they were going for, but they said in a negative way that this is a prosperity church. We are. Um, so... <laughs> Let me give you some definition here. I'm going to say some words today like rich, prosperous, wealth, okay? But this is the definition that I want you to think of. When we're talking about that, I'm not talking about a worldly way of wealth, prosperity, and riches that is self-centered, inward-focused, and all about you. That's not what I'm talking about, so don't read that into it. I want to be very careful to tell you here, when I talk about rich, prosperous, and wealth, and God wants you to be that way, he wants you to be that way in an unselfish way that is outwardly focused, that is others focused, living with an open hand of what God has given you towards God and others and an extravagantly generous person. That's what I'm talking about when I say riches, prosperity, and wealth. Not a me-focused, self-centered It's all about me, riches, and prosperity. So we need to understand this because God wants us to be rich, prosperous, wealthy. All right, it's about 20% on the amen there. I realize I'm just in the first part of my message, but we'll get there. But why does he want you to have that? So you can leave a generous legacy. That's why he wants you to have it, because the more you have, the more you can give. What about this, that we hand the next generation a debt-free church? Isn't that God's will? And we didn't even got to wait for the next generation. That's going to happen in the next few years. 
we're going to be a debt-free church. That's the way it should be. We should not hand future generations a, a church full of debt. And what if we just had a, a bank account that was full of extra money that we could take care of projects whenever we wanted and didn't have to take up an all-in offering? That's God's will. That we hand the next generation a church like that. It's true for God's house, but it's true for your house as well. That's God's will for you. That when you go on to be with the Lord, that your children and grandchildren don't have to deal with your debt. But they deal with your generational wealth that you left them. And they're in a better place than you were because you left a generous legacy. Are you with me today? So we, we have a, a, this verse that, that I want to share with you that's got to kind of set the tone for the rest of the day. We're talking about a generous legacy. So Isaiah 32 and verse 8, notice what it says in the New Living. But generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. But generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Now, the reason I want to bring up this verse is because if we're going to have a generous legacy and get into God's prosperity the way we need to, we have to have a plan. So the generous people, they have a plan. Now, this plan is twofold, and I want to talk about the two sides of prosperity and why God wants you to have it so you can leave a generous legacy. There's two sides to God prospering you. You want to hear that side because you have to have a plan. Now, there's two sides of the plan. Now, there's this side. You have to have a plan to get the money that God has for you. That's called stewardship. But then there's the other side of pro prosperity. You have to have a plan to give it, and that's generosity. They go hand in hand together. And if you're going to prosper the way that God wants you to prosper, you have to have a plan to get what God has for you, which is stewardship. And you have to have a plan to give it away, which is generosity. They go together. A lot of times people in the church world, especially in churches like ours, teach about prosperity, but they only teach about one side. And then no one in their church ever gets into it because they don't ever, never talk about the stewardship side. And they just act like if you go, you're going to give and you're going to find buried treasure in your yard and God's going to prosper you. It's not going to happen that way. They believe if they give in the offering one time that they're going to have money raining down in their backyard and God's just going to give it to them. No, that's not the way it works. You're talking about uh, magics and fairies and Disney movies here. That's not biblical prosperity. No, biblical prosperity is two-sided. There is, you have to have a plan to get it, which is stewardship, which is in your Bible. And you have to have a plan to give it, which is generosity. You have to have both to prosper the way that God wants you to prosper and leave a generous legacy. Now, by the way, if you have found buried treasure in your backyard, can I come over and help you dig it up? I don't think you have, but if you have by accident, you know, I, I watch enough of the Curse of Oak Island on History Channel that I probably know how to dig a little bit. I, I could probably find something. And we could sell that money and put it into the church. So let's talk about the stewardship side. You have to have a plan to get what God has for you, which is stewardship. Are you with me? Now, once again, God wants you to be rich, prosperous, wealthy. I know if I was on the internet right now, I would be going viral because they would just cut me off right there. But God wants you to 
have riches, have prosperity, have wealth. But let me give you a further even definition of that. When God says in your Bible that he wants you to be rich or prosperous or wealthy, he's meaning this, that he wants you to have more than enough and plenty left over to share and give to others. That's biblical prosperity, riches, and wealth. That you have more than enough for you and your family and your household, and you have plenty left over to share and to give to others. That's a biblical definition of riches, prosperity, and wealth. Are you with me? Now, the reason a lot of times people fight the prosperity message or people in churches like ours say the prosperity messages work don't work is because they hear the words riches, prosperity, and wealth and say God wants you to be that way, but they don't think about it biblically. They think about it worldly. Now, what did I just say the definition of God's way of riches, prosperity, and wealth is? It's you having more than enough for you and your house, your family, and more than enough to share and give to others. Now, when we say that in a lot of churches or even the world, they automatically go to worldly riches, and they think when God wants you to be rich, prosperous, and wealthy, that means you're going to live in a $2.3 million mansion. You're going to drive a Bentley. You're going to wear a gold chain, and you're going to have millions in the bank. And on the back of your car, it's going to say, God made billionaire. (laughs) And that's why a lot of people are turned off from the prosperity message, because that's what they're seeing and picturing. But that's not what God's word says. That's worldly prosperity, not godly prosperity. And also in churches like ours, can can I just bring some clarity here? Then the people in the congregation all feel beat up. And left out and like they don't have enough faith because they're like, well, I don't have any of those things. So I guess God's not prospering me because I don't have a Bentley and I don't have a mansion. But they're not thinking about it right because that's not what God's word says. That's a worldly view of prosperity. God never promised you a mansion only in heaven, not here. Now, if you get one, he's not against it as long as he has your heart. God never promised you a Bentley. Now, if you get one, it's okay, but as long as he has your heart. God never promised you those things, but he did promise you. Come on now, somebody. He promised you that you would have more than enough for you, your house, your family, your kids, your grandkids, and that you would have more than enough to be able to give to others, share with others. The Bible says that you would be able to give into every good work. That means that you have so much excess in your money that you could give in every offering you want to give in because God has blessed you. Has nothing to do with a Gucci suit. Has nothing to do with a Mercedes Benz. Has nothing to do with a $2.3 million mansion. It has to do with God wants you to have more than enough. Not just for you though. More than enough so you can give and share with others. That's ultimately God's heart for prosperity, riches, and wealth. Is that you have everything you need and more than enough to give to others. Why? So you can leave a generous legacy. Are you with me today? I'm excited. So based off that definition, let me read you a verse. Because this says that exact same thing in 2 Corinthians 9. When Paul is talking to this church about giving and wealth. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 8. 
It says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now why? And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's biblical riches, wealth, and prosperity. I'm helping you today if you're listening. Not a mansion, not a Mercedes, not a gold chain. Listen, that's not biblical prosperity. It's having everything you need and more than enough to share with others. Now, I think, too, and this is just a side note, once you mature in your faith and in life, you don't even desire those things. I'm not saying you can't have them, but you don't. You're like, I really don't care. You need to have clothes. You need to have cars. You need to have a nice house. I get that. We all need that. I appreciate it. I drive an F-150. I've had three different F-150s in my life. I'm Ford Tough, baby. I'm pure American. I love my F-150, but I, don't, I could probably get a nicer car if I wanted to, but I like my F-150. Trust me, I got enough kids in it. They trash it. There's no reason to get a nicer car at this point. But God wants you to have all those things. But I'm just saying, think with me today. Once you mature a little bit more, you stop losing the interest in all that stuff. You do. You're like, hey, I, I have peace at this house. I don't need any more. I'm good. I got peace with this car. I'm good. I got peace with my wardrobe. That's debatable. I don't have many clothes. If you see me during the week, you would be like, that's not my pastor. That's a homeless man on the street. But on Sundays, I clean up nice, and that's all that matters. So uh, I'm just saying, when your heart gets towards God and you start maturing, those things don't matter as much. Not that you can't have them, but your focus is, hey, I could save money because I don't feel like stretching myself to buy this house. This is way, way, way too expensive for me. I could use that money to give more into the church. I could use that money to give more into outreach. I could use that money to give into heart for the house. I could use that to help my neighbor with their bills instead of pushing myself beyond what I should be able to afford to look like I'm prosperous when I'm really not. Right church? Is this the right church? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm saying God wants you to have those things. He's, he's not against it. But when you start maturing, you start thinking differently. Why? Because you start thinking, I want to leave my legacy in generosity. Let my legacy be generosity, not just big cars, big houses, and a gold chain. Let it be generosity. But you have to have something to give something. The poor cannot help the poor. Can't. You have to have something for God to get that money through you and to you and into the community and into the church and into the places where people have needs. Are you with me? I like the way this message is going. I appreciate you guys. So God says, I want you to have more than enough for you, for your house, for your kids, for your grandkids, but not just that much. That you would have more than enough that you could give and share with others. Be able to give into every good work. 
that you don't always have to check, like, I don't know if we got enough. When an offering comes up, you're like, oh, we got that. I'm ready for this offering. Or, you know, it was unexpected. It was like, well, God told you to give something to the person on the street. And you're like, well, I don't got any money right now. But, but if God's prospered, you're like, well, I got 100 with me right now. I'm able to give into every good work. Or God tells you to buy a meal for somebody at the restaurant you're at. And you don't even have to check your bank account because God's prospered you enough. Now, that's real prosperity. And you say, I want to pay for that, those people over there. There's four people sitting at that table, and I want to pay for their meal. Amen. And you don't have to check your bank account. Why? Because God's prospered you. That's the purpose for it. Yeah, right. That you leave a generosity legacy. So let's give, me, give you some verses about this. We're talking about there has to be a plan for you to prosper. And there's two sides of the plan. There's the plan that is the plan to get it, which is stewardship. And there's the plan to give it, which is generosity. Let's talk about the plan to get it, stewardship. Let's read a verse in Deuteronomy 8.18. Now, little context before we read this. This is Moses speaking to God's people. They're about to go into the promised land. And Moses already knows because God has spoken to him what's going to happen. They're about to go into the promised land. They're about to defeat all their enemies. They're about to start living. Now, they were slaves in Egypt, and they've been living in the wilderness. But now they're about to go into prosperity. And he, he says a lot of things in this passage, and he gives them some warnings, but he's talking to them because he knows they're going to go in there, and they're going to live in houses they didn't build. And they're going to have vineyards they didn't dig. And they're going to drink from water that they didn't get out of the rock. And they're going to be able to prosper. And they're going to start farming and God's going to start blessing it. And they're going to raise livestock and God's going to start blessing it. And they're going to become very wealthy and prosperous as a nation. And the Jewish people still are a very prosperous nation to this day. But this is what he tells them in Deuteronomy 8.18 to God's people. If we could pull it up. And you shall remember the Lord your God. Now, he's saying this because you're going to get in the promised land. You're going to get fat and sassy. You are. And you're going to think it was me that did it. And this is what God says to them. And you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Now, if you're against the prosperity message, then why would God just say it's he that gives you the power to get wealth? It's him. That's, prosperity and wealth are, are not evil. It all matters on who it belongs to. You know, the same money they print Bibles with is the same money they print porn with. It all depends upon the person who has the money. The money could be godly or evil depending upon the person that has it. And God says if it's in the right hands, how much good could it do? If it's in the right people's hands, how much further could the kingdom of God go forward? If it's in the right people's hands, what could the church do? If it's in the right people's hands, how many people could we feed and clothe and get education to and build a well for and do the work of God and print Bibles for countries that don't have Bibles? What if it gets in the right hands of the godly? And that's you guys. So he doesn't have a problem getting wealth to you as long as he has your heart. I got to calm down. We got a long way to go here. You You guys are starting this with me. You're pulling it right out of me. You shall remember the Lord your God. 
For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. That he may, why? Why is he doing it? He established his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is his day. It's always attached to a purpose. It didn't say, I'm just giving you wealth just so you can get wealthy. No, it's for the covenant that I'm making with you and for your ancestors. Generations. I'm giving it to you for a purpose. We don't just believe about about prosperity around here. We believe in prosperity with a purpose. Prosperity with a purpose. Let's bring it up in the message translation of these verses in uh, Deuteronomy 8. If you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this all by myself. I'm rich. It's all mine. (laughs) I love the message. He says, well, think again. (laughs) Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all this wealth. So it is to confirm the covenant that he promised to your ancestors as it is this day. Notice it is God who did this. And it says, he gives you the power to get wealth. That's stewardship. But don't forget where you got the wealth. It is him who gives you the power to get it. Let's look at Proverbs 13, 22. The key verse for what we've been talking about here. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Notice this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Meaning that you have to have something if you're going to give something to your children and your children's children. And we should not be giving them generational debt and generational poverty. We should be giving them generational blessing and generational wealth. And I believe fully with these verses, like we've been talking about, it's not just your biological children, it's your spiritual children, it's the generation to come after you, all connected into the kingdom of God. Yes, God wants you to give into your kids, but not only your kids, but into the things of God, the generations to come, and what God is doing. The prosperity has a purpose. Let's bring that verse up again if we can. But notice the second part of it, because God's not against wealth. What does he say here? But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. He's not against wealth. He just said this. But he said, don't worry about it because the people that have it right now that are wrong, that wealth is going to end up in the right people's hands if you keep doing it my way. If you keep doing it God's way, the business deal is going to turn in your favor, not the sinner's hands. Because the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And that's true for all of us in here. You don't have to do it yourself, but if you keep pursuing God, doing the things you need to do, staying on God's path, being generous, uh, applying the principles of being a good steward of what God gives you and living the way you need to, God will make sure that the wealth of the wicked that's in the wrong hands will end up in the right hands, which are your hands. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to try to sue somebody. You don't have to take somebody down. No, the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. So wealth, prosperity, and riches are not evil. Depends on who has it. But if you're going to give into the generations, you have to have something. 
to be able to give. But that's encouraging for all of us in here that there is wealth in this world. And if you even knew how much wealth is in this world and how much is in the wrong hands right now, you would be encouraged. That that wealth is just waiting for the body of Christ to stand up and take it. But nobody teaches like this, so the body of Christ is just sitting back waiting for God to do something. And he's saying, no, go get the prosperity, wealth, and riches that belong to you so I can get it in the right hands so we can do something on this earth. And that's what God wants for us because the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous or the godly. So we can give generational wealth and blessing to not just our kids and our grandkids, but to the generations to come. Put them off in a better place than we are. We're still talking about stewardship. We have to have a plan to get the wealth that God wants for us. But he's not against wealth. In these passages, he said, it's laid up for you, and it's in the sinner's hands, the wealth. And also, it's he that gives you the power to get it so he can establish his kingdom on the earth. Let's read another verse about stewardship. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Are you with me today? Honor the Lord with your wealth. He's not against wealth. It just matters on what you do with it, where your heart is. What does God say? I don't mind you having it, but here's what I want you to do with it. Leave a generous legacy. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best parts of everything you produce. And then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. But he says, honor me with the wealth that you have. And when you do that, he says, I will give you more. I will bless you more. Now, we're not an agricultural people, so when we hear barns filled with grain and vats overflowing with new wine, we're like, I don't have a vat and I don't have a barn. But that's all they had. And back then, that was currency. That was money. So we could translate it today and say, your bank accounts will overflow. Your business deals will overflow. The projects you have to work for for people will overflow. Your opportunities and your businesses will multiply. That's what he's saying modern day. Your stocks that you invested with will prosper. Now they were agricultural people, so that's all they knew is grain and wine. And he said, if you honor me with your wealth, even though you already got some, I will multiply that even more when you honor me with your wealth. Now, when he says, honor me with your wealth, he's always meaning that you're going to give it. That you're going to be generous with it and not keep it to yourself. But you're going to fund God's kingdom on the earth. Are you still here? Let's look at another passage, Psalm 112, verse 1 through 6 in the New Living. Look at what it says. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children, talking about generations and legacy, will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Oh, it's got to get better. They themselves will be wealthy. That's, your Bible says that. Well, who's he talking to? The people that fear God and are doing it his way and that are generous with his things. Godly people. They themselves will be wealthy. 
and their good deeds will last forever. Legacy. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous. There it is again. Compassionate and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. In verse 6, such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will long be remembered. What's that? That's legacy. Once again, he's, he's talking to us as his children. And he says, if you do it my way, pertaining to money, your kids are going to be successful. You're going to be wealthy. Things are going to happen for you in the right way. And you're going to be remembered for that because that's going to be your legacy. When you are a generous person. So there's stewardship. Stewardship is you have to have a plan to get it. So we realize here that God wants us to be wealthy, rich, prosperous. He wants us to have more than enough for us. And, and more than enough so we can give and share with others. But we have to have a plan to get it. Now, just from the verses I read, and I could read many more, you realize that it's God's will that you're, you have prosperity, you have wealth, you have riches. But there's always warnings with it for us, the godly, that you do it his way, and when you get it, you don't forget him. And when you get it, you don't remember where you came from. And when you get it, never start hoarding it just because you have a lot now but you always live with an open hand and generosity in your heart and you decide God I don't, how, I don't care how much you give me I'm always going to keep an open hand and guess what the reality is this people say all the time you know pastor if I won the lottery may not pay this church off no you wouldn't you know why if you don't give anything right now You won't give anything then. Exactly. Some people say, well, well Pastor, when, when, when I make a million dollars, I'm going to give it into the church. No, if you don't do anything right now, you won't do anything then. You know what? For all of us, we need to start where we are. And if God can trust you with giving 10... He can trust you with 50. If he can trust you with 50, he can trust you with 100. If he can trust you with 100, he can trust you with 1,000. If he can trust you with 1,000, he can trust you with 10,000. If he can trust you with 10,000, he can trust you with 100,000. If he can trust you with 100,000, he can trust you with a million. But you got to prove yourself right here, which is stewardship, so God can give you more. If you won't release what you have now, God's not going to give you more. And that's stewardship that many Christians don't see when they're talking about, I want God to prosper me. Well, what do you do now? Because if you steward it now the way you should, doing what God has asked you to do, he knows he can trust you. The Bible says if you're faithful over little, you'll be faithful over much. And if you're faithful with that, he will give you more. Stewardship. Now, we're still talking today about a generous legacy, but you have to have a plan to get it. Stewardship. And you have to have a plan to give it, which is generosity. 
here's some things about stewardship, and, and I'm going to get maybe too practical with you, but we just need to think about this. These are all biblical principles, but we're like, I, I want to prosper. I want to give a lot of money. I want God to bless me. I want to be wealthy so I can fund the kingdom of God. Okay, stewardship. You got, you got to handle that before God can give you more. Here's some things to think about in stewardship. Do you have a job? Thought I would have got a better amen on that. Because many people are playing video games in their parents' basement asking for God's prosperity. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Some people still today, since COVID, like, I can't get a job. Literally, I see signs everywhere saying, need help. If you want a job, you can get a job. And guess what? God's not going to prosper you if you're well able to get a job and you don't get a job. What about this? When you're at your job, oh, I'm about to say something. This is stewardship. No, get, no give me the prosperity preaching. No, this is, all, this, is, this is real prosperity because people don't connect this to this, and it's connected. Okay, so I got a job, but how is your attitude at the job? Let's go. Let's go. I'm at 43 minutes. I want to say so much today, but I don't have time. Because some of you aren't prospering and not getting promoted, not because you're not qualified. It's because you have a bad attitude when you're at work. It's true. Anyone who owns a company or who's a boss here, who are you going to promote? The, the, the grumpy Magoo or the person with the great attitude? Even if grumpy is more qualified, you're like, I'm going to promote the person with a good attitude because I want him around or her around because I can trust them and they're going to help me. Some of you are like, well, that's not connected to my prosperity. Yes, it is. You could be further along in your career if you had an attitude change. What about when you work? Are you a hard worker? Or do you take very long breaks all the time? Coffee breaks, smoke breaks, social media breaks. Are you a hard worker? If you're not a hard worker, the Bible says you won't prosper. It says that in Proverbs many times. That's stewardship. You want God to prosper you? Do you work hard? Because God has to have something to work with. Now, once again, to clarify, I'm not talking about you're working hard depending on only yourself, thinking that you're going to make it. But I'm saying you got to give him something to work with. God says he'll bless the work of your hand. So you got to do something for him to bless. Okay. Just trying to clarify here. We want to leave a generous legacy, but we want to prosper to get there. Stewardship. How are we going to get there? Live on a budget. Many people don't live on a budget. Their money's out of whack, and then they're like, I can't give to the church. It's not because you don't have anything. It's because you spend your money on DoorDash and Netflix. Come on, let's be real. That, that's the reality of it. It's not that you don't have money. You're just not living on a budget. And living on a budget is biblical stewardship. We honor God with our money. That's a part of stewardship. Getting out of debt, not just for you, but for your kids and your grandkids, so that you can give more. 
What if all of us in our, this church were out of debt? How much more could we give? Let's dream a little bit, people. That's, that's God's best for you and God's will for you. What if every one of us in here had no car payment, no student loans, no house payment, nothing? All of us in here. How much more could we give into God's kingdom? How much more could we do for our kids and our grandkids and store up for future generations? That's God's best. Come on, let's think together today. Now, I know most of us in here have debt, but our plan should be we're trying to get out of it. Not just like, oh, well, let's just keep stacking it up and pray that somehow President Biden's just going to clear it all out one day. It's risky. You might get your student loans, but you're not going to get your credit card paid off. But you got to get out of debt. Start heading that direction, just like the church. We've been paying for the church. We pay our monthly payments, but we've paid hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of dollars more on top of our regular payment the past several years. Why? Because we're trying to get out of debt. We're not just going to keep this thing going. We're trying to get out of debt. Why? Why does, why does the church want to get out of debt? Pastor, you're too excited right now. You need to calm down. You know why I want to get out of debt? So I can give more as a church. So that money's not going to a bank anymore, that I could use that money to go do some outreach and give to some pastors and plant some churches and do what we need to do and not even have to think about a house payment at church. And trust me, our payment's not that big a deal, but still, if it was gone, how much extra would we have? But it's the same for you. How much extra could you give? If you had, nobody had to pay. Like the Bible says, you owe no man anything but to love him. Not many people are there. But that's God's will and God's best. Are you with me? I'm sorry, I'm getting too practical for you here. What about saving? Do you save any money? I don't mean to Dave Ramsey you today, but... uh, Do you have any saving? Most people have no savings, so if something happened, they would have no money. Quickly. Do you have any investments? Do you have any retirement? You need to think about that way. Why? Why? Because you want to have wealth so you can leave a generous legacy. And if you have no investments, you have no savings, you have crazy debt, you don't live on a budget, you barely have a job, you're not going to have anything to give. Are you with me? But if you have all those things, and at least you're pursuing those things, how much more can you do? And I know, God, if you start taking practical steps a biblical stewardship and have a plan to get what he wants for you, the supernatural will take place when you start doing the natural. Instead of just folding your hands on like, it is what it is. I just don't have any money. I can't give anything. No, when you start taking those steps, I've seen God supernaturally pay off debts for people. Money came out of nowhere and and paid that off, but they were trying to pay it off. I know people that invested in certain things, and they were believing God, and those investments skyrocketed, and they made so much more money. Why? Because they were trying to do it so they could be more generous. 
Are you here today? So you have to have a plan to get it, which is stewardship. The next thing is you have to have a plan to give it, which is being generous. That's the other side of it. The Bible says if there's no plan or vision, the people perish or because they nothing happens. You should plan your giving. You should have a plan for your generosity on what you want to do now, but even future. Start dreaming. Start planning on what you want to give. Think about this. All of us in here should have ideas on how we want to give, not just to this church, but to people we care about, love, our children, our children's children, friends, family. I know uh, I've had this conversation. Morgan and I have had this conversation before. We can't do it right now, but we thought it before. like, man, I would love to send that couple and that couple on a vacation someday. Guess what? If you never start thinking about it, it won't happen. I'd love to pay off that person's debt. If you never start planning for it, it will never happen. I'd love to buy that young person in our church that loves God with all their heart a new car. Just, be, just to bless them. I don't have it right now, but you got to start planning that way so it can happen one day. You have to have a plan to give. Not just a plan to get it. And your plan to give it is generosity. The Bible says that one of the main ways we should plan to give is our tithe. Which is 10% of our income. That we should honor God with that. And the Bible says to bring the tithe into God's house. That there would be provision in his house to do what we need to do. Now most of you do tithe. We have a very generous church. But imagine if all of us tithed just 10%. Like the Bible says too. How much provision and extra we would have to do what we need to do at this church. Then there's offerings. Offerings could go anywhere God tells you to put them. They could go to the poor. They could go to a friend or a family member. They could go to a guest minister. Offerings can go anywhere, but you should have a plan to give your money. What about Heart for the House? Heart for the House at our church is to pay the debt off. We pay extra every month. And we give into Heart for the House. But you have to have a plan to do it if you're going to do it. Our all-in projects. We did several last year. $90,000 came in. Come on, can we rejoice for that? $90,000 came in. And once we finish those projects, guess what? There'll be more projects. Why? Because without a vision, the people perish. But you have to plan to give if you're going to give, and that's generosity. Brother Daryl, could you come play? And I'm going to close here. Did you get something today? I want to read quickly um, a, an article I saw the other day, and then I want to share a little bit about Legacy Team and then close the service and pray for some people. You still good? Yes, now, thinking about this, about having a generous legacy, some of you know who this man is, but David Green. Now, David Green is the CEO of Hobby Lobby. How many like Hobby Lobby? That's right. I knew I'd get a good response out of the ladies in here. There's Target and Hobby Lobby, right? And you don't go in with a plan. Whatever speaks to you, you just buy. I don't need you, but I want you. I'm going to go to this aisle in Target. 
I need to get this decoration. I don't know when I'm going to use it, but St. Patrick's Day is coming up and I need this decoration. I mean, Hobby Lobby is just the best. So, I want to read you this article. So, if, if you know anything about it, the CEO of Hobby Lobby is David Green. The Green family has been very generous in the body of Christ. They're very strong Christians and believers. And for a fact, I know that they have given millions and millions of dollars away to build churches. Um, they paid off debts for Christian universities. Um, there's, a, there's a university recently, Highlands College in Birmingham, Alabama. They gave them $20 million to build dorms recently. Hobby Lobby did. Uh, they, they built a $100 million museum in Washington, D.C. called the Museum of the Bible. They have funded things all over the world, their family from Hobby Lobby, the Green family. And they're billionaires. But they've chosen to use their wealth and they've been a good steward of it and they're leaving a generous legacy. And I want to I'm going to read some things he wrote recently to maybe encourage you because this is a man who has billions and billions of dollars. Now, I looked him up on Forbes. David Green's net worth is $14 billion, with a B, <laughs> billion dollars, CEO of Hobby Lobby. Okay. But listen to his heart and attitude, and I think all of us should have the same heart because recently he decided to give his ownership of Hobby Lobby away. So could all go to help the church. Now, he's 81 years old, so he decided this. He put in his will that when he goes on, the ownership of Hobby Lobby is not going to go to his kids. It's going to go to a special place where they're going to give that money out to missions, to Bibles, to churches, to fund the kingdom of God. Now, trust me, all his kids work for Hobby Lobby. They're good. They're good, guys. Don't get worried about them. They all are millionaires. But he decided he was going to give his ownership to the church to fund the kingdom of God. I want to read you a few things he wrote, and all of us could think about this. He says, the thought process reflects on a basic uh, competition of ideas that I think every business leader should reflect upon. What is the true source of your success? In the mid-1980s, I went through a period where I'd grown proud thinking that I had the Midas touch. I nearly lost the business. God had to show me that he was the one who granted me success. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.18 that it's God who gives you the power to make wealth. In that vein, I'd encourage every leader to consider their source of truth and how they make decisions. For me, this is the CEO, David Green, speaking. My source of truth has always been prayer in the Bible. I truly believe that if leaders pray and seek the truth from the Bible, that their businesses will be revolutionized. For instance, the Bible talks about giving a tithe or a tenth. In fact, tithing is one of those areas where God specifically challenges us to give and see that he won't throw open the windows of blessing. Can you imagine what would happen if every top leader in business became a tither? There would be literally billions available for the good work around the world. As an owner, there are certain rights and responsibilities, including the right to sell the company and keep the profits for yourself and your family. 
as our company grew, the idea began to bother me more and more. Well-meaning attorneys and accountants advised me to simply pass it, my ownership down to my children and grandchildren. It didn't seem fair to me that I might change or even ruin the future of my grandchildren who had not even been born yet. I considered my path. I realized all my success had come from God. And me and my wife started our business with a $600 loan. And I don't think anyone would have bet on us to be successful. But from the very beginning, are you still with me? Our purpose was to honor God in all we did. We worked hard and we gave God the results. And we were blessed by God and saw a great privilege to give back. We've been able to provide hope through supporting ministries and planting churches all over the world. The bigger the mission and purpose helped me realize that I was just a steward or a manager of what God has entrusted me with. God was the true owner of my business. Now, this man's worth $14 billion. The stewardship God gave me, I wasn't supposed to take the profits of the business and use them for myself. I also had a responsibility to my employees that God had put me in charge of. This is why our company pays a minimum wage of $18.50 per hour and why we close on Sundays, which is the most profitable day of business, and why we close by 8 p.m. every day. More importantly, I am responsible for the mission and purpose of what I've been given. And when I realized I was just a steward, it was easy to give away my ownership. Best of all, when I made the decision to give this away, it allowed me to sustain our mission and purpose. Instead of going public, we went with purpose. It's my responsibility to steward that kind of culture, and it's truly powerful that the work that God has called me to do. Isn't that awesome? Now, that's the CEO of Hobby Lobby just recently wrote this at 81 years of age. He's given his whole life but deciding he's going to put his money in the kingdom of God to leave a legacy of generosity. But like he said, what if everybody did that? Every church member, every business leader, every person who has any sort of wealth that belongs to a church and belongs to the kingdom of God, what if we all did that? How much money would be available to do the mission of God? I think that's so important. But I want to encourage you as we close here that there's some of you that are called to do beyond just tithing and giving offerings. The Bible talks about this in Romans 12, which is called the gift of giving. The Bible says that some people have the gift of generosity, that they are called to make money for the kingdom of God and then fund the mission of God beyond just the tithe and the offering. And I feel like there's many of you in here and some that aren't here today that are part of this church family that are called to have this gift. Some of you already know this. We had a good time when we did our legacy breakfast recently, but I really feel like there's a large group of us in here that are called to be on the legacy team, to give beyond just our tithe and our offering and make money for the kingdom of God that could be through your career, through investments, through entrepreneurship and business. Imagine the kind of church we could have if we had people come alongside and step up with creative ways and creative ideas on how to fund what God is doing through the legacy team. And we're a part of the legacy team. Why? Because we want to leave a legacy of generosity. 
And that's for everybody here today, but especially those on the legacy team. And I want to say this, and some of you are going to be like, I don't know, Pastor, this sounds like just like really big that you're saying this. But I feel like there is called to be multiple millionaires in this church. I got about four amens and a couple grunts and nods. Let me say that one more time. I feel like that there are some people in here on the legacy team that God has called you to be a millionaire or a multimillionaire. Many of you. Because you have this gift of giving and generosity that God wants you to fund what he's doing in the kingdom of God and leave a legacy of generosity. Now, I believe that strong. And pastor, you're saying, you know, man, that just sounds big. It sounds like you're all about the money. Why do I want that to happen? Because I know what we could do with that. Pastor, you want millionaires in this church so you can get a raise. Not even talking about that. I want to use that money to do outreach, to pay off other churches, not just ours, to fund what God is doing. And guess what? You can look around this room right now, but we're not going to stay here forever. And it's going to take money to build bigger buildings. It's going to take money to be a region-changing church. It's going to take money to, to get this message out to the entire region. We're going to need multi-millionaires who have their heart right towards God, funding what God is doing. It's going to take money. And I believe if your heart is right towards God, there is no end to the prosperity he can give you as long as you have an open hand and an open heart. And you say, God, all that I have is yours. Whether it's 10000 or $10 million, I'm going to be generous with the legacy I have. Are you with me? And I believe God will prosper everyone in this place, but especially those who feel called to the legacy team. There's something special on your life, and God has called you to make money for the kingdom. I know that sounds bold, but I don't take it back. I feel like God told me that there's multiple people in here. Now, it's not automatic just because I said that. you got to do what I said today. But that God has called you to be a millionaire or multimillionaire. Why? God's no respecter of persons. David Green should not be the only billionaire in the body of Christ. Think if we had multi, multi, multi Christian billionaires, not just Elon Musk and Jeffrey Bezos. They're spending money to try to go to the moon. What about we spend billions of dollars to try to save people on the earth? And help people and do something to change people's lives, not just now, but eternally, not just fly a plane to the moon. God wants more millionaires and billionaires in the body of Christ to fund what he's doing. Not for selfish reasons, but to leave a generous legacy. Could you stand up with me today? One last verse, and I want to pray for some people. 1 Timothy 6 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 in the message, I love it what it says. It tells those who are rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves, so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good and to be rich in helping others and to be extravagantly generous. 
If they'll do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. I want to pray for some people this morning, and I, I, I feel strongly, if you feel called to be a part of the legacy team and you feel called to make money for the kingdom of God in business, entrepreneurship, investments, whatever it may be, I want to pray for you today. Could you just come up this morning? Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.